did you get paid? 70 cents. 70 cents a day? Every two weeks. Every two weeks, you got 70 cents. Introducing Invisible Institutions, a new documentary podcast investigating the unreported and invisibilized horrors of the institutional system. These are real stories. When someone makes a call and says, we have a bed for you, we don't have a home for you, we have a bed for you. Coming February 2022. Welcome to Pullback, the podcast that digs into the ethics behind everyday choices. Pullback is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network of Podcasts. I did that right the first time ever. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kristen Pugh. I'm here with Kyla Hewson. Hey! And today we are going into part two of our cruise ships episode where we will be focusing on the environment. And I'm very scared. For listeners just tuning in, if you haven't listened to our first part yet, I encourage you to go listen to it first because it is a little bit more uplifting than this one. And it's a good base to start on with like what the cruise industry is and how it affects the communities around it. So the passengers, the crew members, and the people in the ports of call. And also we talk a little bit about tax evasion, which is one of my favorite subjects. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're ready to jump right into part two, We are going to get started now. The environmental group Friends of the Earth has a report card for cruise lines based on sewage treatment, air pollution reduction, water quality compliance, and Carnival got an F, Royal Caribbean, got a D plus, and Norwegian Cruise Lines got a D minus. Only two companies got a passing grade, Silver Sea Cruises, which is a subsidiary of Royal Caribbean, and they got a C. And can you guess who got a passing grade? No, I've forgotten all the companies. This one, this one's a bit of a tricky one. It's Disney. Disney got a passing grade. Uh... They got a B minus. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I'm going to be marketing this episode for maybe like the first time. We don't market ourselves very often, but I'm going to be sending it to a podcast newsletter that I really like called Podcast The Newsletter. And it's curated by Lauren, who's absolutely lovely. And she starts her newsletters by talking about like, it's X number of days until my next Disney cruise. So Lauren, (laughs) if you're listening, (laughs) Disney got a passing grade. So you don't need to cancel your trip, although you might want to after listening to the rest of this episode. We'll see. But we're not here to judge anyone who's pre-booked a cruise. (laughs) I love the very specific marketing. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just like, I've been thinking about doing this episode for a while. And every time her newsletter pops into my inbox, she's like, this many days until my next Disney cruise. And I was like, I'm going to have to send her the cruise ship episode. Yeah, a a friend that will never want to be a friend back to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so for the environment, I had to separate it into three categories as well. So category one is dumping, category two is emissions, and then category three is eco-sensitive zones and animal welfare, basically. So is the animal welfare one more or less horrifying than our Hollywood episode? (laughs) Our Hollywood episode? I know it's a deep cut. That was one of the early ones. (laughs) I would say much more horrifying. I would say say anyone who's enjoyed our fishing episode, it's a little bit more in line with that because it is about all of the horrible things happening in the ocean. (laughs) And anyone anyone who has not listened to our episode on 
Seafood. Yeah, we just released it as an encore altogether, but it was originally a two-parter. If anyone has not listened to that and you feel so inclined after listening to what I have to say here, I encourage you. It's one of my favorite episodes that we did. It's dark, though. Okay, so ships are constantly being caught dumping raw sewage and hazardous waste into the ocean. Bilgewater oh, no. is, uh, <laughs> yeah, Bilgewater gets uh, dumped quite a, quite often, and it's uh, water that collects in the lowest part of the ship, and it often contains oil from leaky engines, as well as just other chemical shit. The International Convention for the Prevention of Pollution from Ships, it's called MARPOL, it dictates when and where ships can release contaminated food waste and treated or untreated sewage into the sea. It specifies rules for how such materials must be discharged, but it doesn't go nearly far enough. Mostly it stipulates how far from shore you should be before dumping when we should be treating stuff before we dump it or not dumping it at all. So that's like the bare, bare, bare minimum, and it's not enough. And in 2013, the ship, the Caribbean Princess, was still found in violation. Uh. It was caught dumping oily waste off the coast of England. The chief engineer and senior first engineer removed the bypass equipment they'd been using to dump and directed subordinates to lie when they were caught. During the course of the investigation, they found that four other ships in the Princess Line were dumping illegally in a variety of ways. I'll share the Florida Department of Justice's link on it. It's pretty wild. You know when Florida wants it to be illegal that it's pretty bad. <laughs> Oh my God, yeah. When Florida has to like, like, be like, guys, this is too much. <laughs> Especially since they were caught dumping off the coast of England. This is how bad it was, you know? Like that Florida had to step in and be like, mm, mm, mm. So in December 2016, Princess Cruise Lines, a subsidiary of Carnival, pled guilty to seven felony counts related to vessel pollution and efforts to conceal that pollution, one count of conspiracy, four counts of failure to maintain accurate records, and two counts of obstruction of justice. The cruise line had to pay $40 million in criminal penalties, the largest ever for deliberate vessel pollution. A five-year term of probation required all ships from eight Carnival Cruise Lines to participate in a supervised environmental compliance program. The company is required to retain an outside independent third-party auditor and to fund a court-appointed monitor. The ship had been dumping illegally since 2005. In 2019, Carnival Corporation agreed to pay $20 million after pleading guilty to releasing food and plastic waste into the ocean off the Bahamas. Three years after they had to pay $20 million, the $40 million. Because if price. there's not already a big enough problem with ocean plastic. <laughs> and I, for anyone who maybe didn't tune into our last episode or has forgotten... $20 million is 0.1% of their profits for that year. So it's less than a slap on the wrist. Cool. <laughs> they, make, they made $21 Great. billion. So $20 million is 0.1%. That's really upsetting. In January of 2022, so for anyone paying attention, that was two months ago, they were fined another $1 million for failing to establish and maintain an independent internal investigative office. <laughs> so, Carnival, what you doing over there? Look, this is just one, this is just the one that has like the biggest fines. There is case after case after case after case after case of cruise ships dumping into waters illegally. And I cannot stress this enough, to be dumping illegally is... Such a low bar. The laws aren't Such that a low strict. bar. Like they just have to be dumping like <laughs> literally like 50 feet out further than they are. 
In 2019, Carnival hired their first ever chief ethics and compliance officer. His name is Peter Anderson. He's a former federal prosecutor from the U.S. Department of Justice Environmental Crimes Division. His job was to prosecute companies violating environmental regulations. So he updated Carnival's ethics program just months before the pandemic hit. And Carnival was really like patting themselves on the back about hiring this guy. They're like, oh, look at us. Look how it's like, mm, pretty sure this is like part of your court order. <laughs> <laughs> And also, like, part of the appeal of hiring a guy who was prosecuting companies beforehand is that he's going to be really good at showing you how to not get prosecuted, but not necessarily, like, in the ways that are the most meaningful. I mean, maybe this guy rules. I don't know. He seemed okay <laughs> from, like, the very brief Googling that I did. But it's also, like, Carnival, maybe just sit down a little bit on the marketing here. <laughs> A cruise ship can generate about 55 liters of hazardous chemical waste every day. And remember, there are about 300 cruise ships in the worldwide fleet. In a week-long voyage, the passengers and crew aboard the biggest ships can produce 800,000 liters of sewage and almost 4 million liters of gray water, which is water from sinks, showers, laundry, etc. They don't reuse that water? Nope. Maybe some ships do. I don't know. Just seems wasteful, but all right. Yeah, but, like, if they're dumping oil into the ocean, like, what's to stop them from just dumping gray water, too? You know okay, what I mean? yeah. That's a fair point. <laughs> Whatever the cheapest solution is, Kristen, that's what they're doing. If it's cheaper to okay. reuse the water, then I'm sure they're doing that. But it probably isn't because that requires, like, equipment. And finding space on a cruise ship is notoriously difficult. So if they can avoid putting equipment on there in favor of putting in one more cruise ship passenger cabin, they're going to do that. Again, I know I'm not in charge of these, but maybe cut the ice rink. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kristen. The ice rink <laughs> is non-negotiable. In a year, 380 million liters of petroleum products will seep into the oceans. Ugh. Mm -hmm. Do you like that? No, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> is that like a thing with all ships or are cruise ships particularly bad? So I should, I, should, I should clarify here that that one, I believe, is from ships, just all of the biggest ships. But a lot of the biggest ships are cruise ships. And super yachts. Yeah, and super yachts. And like, <laughs> even if, sh if the cruise ships aren't leaking, I feel like that's still like such a staggering amount that maybe we should look into fixing the entire marine industry, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking like there's only 300 cruise ships, but there are so many other big ships. So if they're all leaking... A lot of oil all the time. That's yeah. not good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I, I would have to do like, I'd have to see a study that was done on a particular ship. I'd be interested to see like, you know, wonder of the seas sailing today. Does it leak? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the schematics of a ship are like. Any engineers listening who've worked on cruise ships, let me know. <laughs> to treat sewage and gray water, ships are only required to use marine sanitation devices that often leave behind bacteria heavy metals, and nutrients that can disrupt marine ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't get the exact <laughs> numbers on wasted food, but you remember how Wonder of the Seas can carry over 9,000 people? That's 30,000 meals a day, mostly buffet-style. And no, they don't feed the leftovers to staff. So any leftovers are going straight into the trash, and anyone who wants to learn about how horrible that is can go back to our food waste three-parter. But I bring up wasted food with dumping because, like, guess what? 
bags of garbage are sometimes caught being thrown overboard, and solid waste is thrown overboard by careless travelers. Oh, how does waste disposal work? Like, um, is there like a garbage room on cruise ships? Yeah, there's a garbage room, and then when you go to port, it, it gets collected. Unless it gets just thrown into okay. the ocean. <laughs> but mostly it gets collected in port. Uh, it, it's not like, look, it's bad press to be caught polluting. So ships try not to do it too much, especially the big ones like Royal Caribbean. I mean, I can't speak so much for Carnival because they keep getting caught. Like, <laughs> But for the most part, like actual bags of trash, they don't get thrown overboard very often, especially not by the bigger companies that, like, that I could see and that I experienced. I, oh yeah, for anyone just tuning in now, I used to work on cruise ships. Just a little catch you up. I worked on the Oasis of the Seas. I'm going to include like a list of ship pollution and environmental violations and fines. Only those that were reported in the media or public documents. It's a really comprehensive list and it's really long. And it's just to give people an idea of like the scale of this. And this is just stuff that gets caught, right? So I'm going to move on to emissions. A ship can burn 425,000 liters of fuel a day. And they're burning the cheapest, shittiest fuel money can buy. <laughs> For the last half century, most ships have run on heavy fuel oil, or HFO. It's a byproduct of the crude oil industry. It's toxic when burned and hard to clean when spilled. It's a source of acid rain and respiratory illness. In 2005, international legislation regulating air pollution from ships went into effect, but ships just started using these things called scrubbers to, quote unquote, clean the smokestacks with a flow of seawater that just gets dumped directly back into the ocean. So they're like, oh, we're cleaning our smokestacks, our air pollution's gone down, but they're not actually reducing their pollution by changing their fuel source or cleaning their smokestacks and then like treating the stuff that is getting washed out. They're just literally taking the stuff that was going to go into the air and dumping it into the sea. Cool. So are there are there better fuel sources uh, that cruise ships could be using right now? I imagine like in the future, electrification will be a thing, but... Yeah, you, they, like I think you can, I think they can electrify it a lot now, honestly. Um, I think they could use batteries a lot more now, especially smaller ships. Um, but... I, and I cannot stress this enough, literally any fuel would be better than the fuel they're using right now. <laughs> Other than maybe coal. <laughs> mm, I don't know. <laughs> Coal's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Let me talk a little bit more about HFO and then you can let me know at the end what you think. So here's a quote. It's from the World Wildlife Fund. Surface seawater is about 30% more acidic than in pre-industrial times, and that may increase by another... 120% by the end of the century. That's before scrubbers are taken into account. So HFO exhaust wash water is potentially more than 100,000 times more acidic than the seawater it's dumped into. So to quote from that World Wildlife Fund article again, a report recently commissioned by the World Wildlife Fund of Canada found that just 30 scrubber-equipped ships were responsible for dumping 35 million tons, or the equivalent of 14,000 Olympic swimming pools, of wash water off the coast of British Columbia in 2017. So they're basically just, like, dumping acid into the sea? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and that's not illegal? <laughs> they can just do that? Yeah. Oh, I hate society. 
A recent modeling study suggests that for every ton of sulfur dioxide injected into the ocean by scrubbers, the ocean will not absorb about half a ton of CO2. So for every ton injected into the ocean, we're not absorbing half a ton of CO2. That's a bit of a problem when climate change is <laughs> bearing down on us rapidly. Yeah, and the, the ocean is like our best carbon sink. Yeah, this means that not only will the oceans continue to acidify, but that the rate of global climate change could be accelerated if scrubber use continues. And that's the end of the World Wildlife quote. Some countries have banned discharge from scrubbers, including Brazil, China, Germany, and the U.S. But then there's the high seas. Yeah, and also, like, there's some countries that haven't banned it. Can you imagine who might still allow it? Panama, Liberia, and Bermuda? Maybe, but I was specifically thinking of Canada. We have not banned it. <laughs> I just went with the top cruise ship companies or countries. <laughs> yeah, I mean, normally, normally, you know, you'd be like, oh, you know, those vaudevillains are <laughs> twirling their mustaches. But in this case, it's us. We are, we are, um, we're putting the oceans on the railroad track. <laughs> We could e pretty easily prohibit these things, and it would affect all three of our coastlines, which touch three oceans. So if somebody wanted to do something about that, who would they contact? Yeah, I think that people can contact the Department of Fisheries and Oceans in Canada. So, and I mean, even if they're not exactly the right people, which I'm like 95% sure they are, I just forgot to write it down, but I'm sure they can forward our messages on. But also, like, the legislation is already on the books. It really wouldn't be hard for us to ban these things. It would not take any steps at all. <laughs> so, yes, please send a message to the Department of Fisheries and Oceans because we should just... This is such a small thing that we could do that would make a big difference. Yeah, it seems like pretty low-hanging fruit when it comes to climate change. Yeah, the emissions that passengers breathe while on a cruise ship are over 20 times higher than on a busy, polluted roadway, and some readings have shown air quality on par with Delhi on a bad day. That's horrifying. Delhi's air pollution is, like, notoriously one of the worst in the world. Yeah, so that's what I was kind of teasing earlier when I was talking in our previous episode about how passengers aren't, they're not getting away unscathed. It's, it's especially if you're a regular cruiser, you could be experiencing like really bad air quality. Just to give some context, there was like a historically bad wildfire smoke day in Edmonton. And it was like, it broke Canadian records, was like completely off the air pollution chart. And it was that day only slightly higher than Delhi's is like on a regular basis. So like if you're on a cruise ship, that's the level of air pollution. Think like wildfire smoke, but different pollutants. Yeah, and I don't know, like, which ships that is specifically, if it's all of them. I don't know if the scrubbers make a huge difference there. I mean, from what I could tell, the scrubbers have, like, improved the air quality somewhat, but not, like, a lot, all things considered, because everything when it comes to marine law is, like, extremely minimal, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the oceans are screwed. <laughs> so a large cruise ship can have a bigger carbon footprint than 12,000 cars. A cruise has a worse footprint than an airplane, emitting almost double the CO2. Plus, most passengers fly to ships. So you're like, <laughs> you're like, it's like you're flying three times when you take a cruise if you're flying there. Or, or four times because you got to fly home. 
Passengers on a seven-day Antarctic cruise can produce as much CO2 as the average European does in a year. Yikes. Yeah, emissions for staying overnight on a cruise are 12 times higher than staying in a regular hotel. So I feel like this is part of the story that gets glossed over a lot. I had no idea. I, I thought that cruising was better than flying. I don't know why that, like, I, but I thought it was. Well, because generally, like, sailing is not bad for the environment. Yeah. But I guess that's because it's not a mechanized ship. Yeah, so I guess we just need to put, like, sails on <laughs> on our cruise ship. There's probably a reason that, like, when Greta Thunberg didn't want to fly to North America, she picked uh, a sailboat <laughs> and did not pick a cruise <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like that's not... I'm not the only one who's made that assumption, you know? No, for sure, yeah. So I just think it's really important that people understand that cruises are not a better solution environmentally. You know, cruise for whatever reasons you want, but don't cruise because you think it's better than flying, because it's not. It has been estimated that between 40,000 and 100,000 Britons die prematurely every year as a result of emissions from the shipping and cruise industries, specifically those two industries just that one country. If shipping were a country, uh, and this includes all ships, not just cruise lines, but if shipping were a country, it would be the globe's seventh biggest emitter. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, and then my final section on the environment is about eco-sensitive zones and um, ecology in general. So Carnival announced plans to develop the world's largest cruise port in East Grand Bahama. The facility would be able to accommodate two of their largest ships at the same time. The company is leasing 329 acres of land in an area known as Sharp Rock in East Grand Bahama, which is known as an eco-sensitive zone. They keep saying like, oh, we're going to be really environmentally responsible with it. And it's like, are you though? <laughs> yeah, to develop these kind of ports, do they have to like, because a place like Sharp Rock seems like it might not be the best for landing big ships. <laughs> Not knowing anything about it. Do they have to, like, clear areas? How does that work? I guess it would depend on the area itself, but they would have to do some clearing uh, because they have to be able to get the ships in and out, and then they're going to have to build the docks, and the ships are huge. But apart from that, if the ships are holding four or 5,000 passengers and every single day two of those ships are coming in, that's 10,000 people walking along this eco-sensitive zone swimming in this marine area that maybe should be protected, walking along these coral reefs that are already endangered. Yeah, and then a couple, I don't know how far from shore, but then they're dumping a bunch of pollution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One kilometer away from what the limit is. <laughs> yeah, and nobody in the country is benefiting from this because it's a private zone where nobody can sell their wares unless they already have money to buy into the cruise ship space. That's really fucked up. Yep. And that, that's not, I mean, I, I'm picking a carnival a little bit here, but they're not the only ones. Like Disney has plans to do this as well. And and Royal already has this. And so, and a couple of other spaces are already exist that are like this. And it's just, I mean, Labadee in Haiti is a beautiful port. It's gorgeous. The reason that they do this is because when the passengers come in, they get their own private beach space, you know, and it's and it's truly that iconic palm tree pina colada in your hand sitting on the beach dream vacation that is advertised in beer commercials ad nauseum <laughs> <laughs> okay that does sound really nice <laughs> it's gorgeous that's the appeal right that's the appeal but 
it's only appealing on the surface. And if you peel it back even a little bit, you can kind of see how ultimately in the long run, it's really not the best thing you can do. As I'm sure you can imagine, none of this is good for animals. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Pollution poisons the flora and fauna, clouds the water, reduces oxygen levels. Acid conditions mean calcifying animals struggle to grow skeletons and, and shells. This affects calcifying algae that form the base of the marine food web. Fish expend extra energy to regulate their pH, which slows their growth, makes them easier prey and more susceptible to disease, and affects their reproduction. Acidic conditions can release toxic metals that are normally bound to sediments, which means that they're more likely to end up in the food web. And we, humans, are a part of the food web. People eat a lot of fish. <laughs> we sure do. We sure do. Somewhere between one and three trillion fish a year are harvested in some capacity. Yeah, and if the ocean is full of acid, then we're also eating more heavy metals. And also probably more acid. <laughs> presumably. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Noise pollution from ships makes it extremely difficult for marine animals to communicate, especially our big boy mammals like dolphins and whales. It also causes a ton of stress. Imagine 60 to 90 decibels rolling by you without warning all day, every day. Which like, just for context, is pretty much square in the range of what the freedom convoyers were doing when they were honking in Ottawa. And uh... <laughs> and it drove people crazy within a day. So Yes. It's just what whales have to put up with all the time. All the time, for years. Like if your roommate kept vacuuming the house constantly without warning and... <laughs> Except at the end of the day, your house is dirtier after they leave. <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> Researchers are finding that whales and dolphins alter their calls when a ship is nearby, using higher frequencies and shorter songs. Whales can take half an hour to start singing again after a ship is left. If whales can't hear each other, they group together, which makes finding food harder. If they have trouble finding prey, they use up stores of blubber, which contain man-made pollutants that are toxic to whales when released into their systems. Reducing the speed of ships by six knots can decrease ship noise by half. Okay, that seems like a really obvious solution. Yeah, it's a really easy solution, but it costs money. It costs money when ships go slower. But isn't like a cruise ship is basically just like a carnival, but on water? Like, why do they have to go fast? I can understand why like in the shipping industry, there would be pressures to go faster because people want their stuff, but... Well, you're on a deadline. They'll squeeze ports in that are just far enough away that they like exactly fit this itinerary. So they'd have to change the entire itinerary to go six knots slower probably. But also like do it, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like just, it's not. <sighs> All right. And I'm sorry that I have to end on this. So we'll have to, we'll have to chat a little bit after this because this really can't be how we end the episode. But collisions with whales is a huge problem. And I partly want to end on this because it's such a big problem that I want this to be something that people sit with for a while. Because of all of the things I've said, I think this might be the most upsetting. I mean, it probably isn't in the long run. Um, acidifying our oceans is fucking terrifying. But whales, and I'm gonna quote here from whales.org, whales are hard to spot on ship navigation. In the last five years, 
112 whales that washed up dead were identified by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration as having injuries consistent with ship collisions. But this doesn't include whales that never wash ashore. Mm -hmm. The true number is unknown. Yeah. How many whales are there? If it's really low, I don't know if I want to know. (laughs) I know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how many whales exist. We'll we'll find it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll post it on our show notes. Gives you a reason to visit. But yeah, there's like at least a few hundred thousand because there's um, an estimated like 300,000 to 450,000 sperm whales alone. So maybe a couple million. (laughs) That's my guess. That's still like not many, you know, like. Yeah. And so an unknown number, but at least, um, what were you saying, 100? 112, 112, yeah, of, in the last five years. So, I mean, I guess it could be higher, but I'd also prefer it to be zero. And if ships just slowed down by six knots, <laughs> like. It could be zero, yeah. Well, I mean, because not only does slowing down make the noise a lot lower, but it also gives whales time to like get out of the way it gives maybe i like i feel like if you slow down i don't know maybe i'm just thinking of with a car but if you're going faster you're more likely to hit something see it's harder to stop or slow down or or maneuver if you see it i think i I read um i didn't share all of the things i read about whales because it was too upsetting but i think one of the things i read was like sometimes ships see them and just can't turn in time yeah (laughs) stay with me you guys i do want to finish on a little bit of a more positive note which is that there are (laughs) solutions to these problems they exist now we could implement them today we do not need to wait for a technology to change we just need the the bureaucratic systems to be less kafka-esque i guess (laughs) we just need to care a little bit more about this stuff yeah so what what cruise ships could do today would be to implement better recycling programs retrofit their ships to run on cleaner fuel, utilize more battery power, run slower to reduce noise and fuel consumption, better onboard incineration options um, and storage for the stuff that you're incinerating instead of just dumping it into the ocean. They could install closed-loop scrubbers, which keep the pollutants out of the water um, and can be treated on land. They could hold sewage and waste products on board to be treated on land as well. But we need regulations or we need cruise lines to step up in a big way. We need regulations. <laughs> I know, but it's it's such a it's such a fragmented industry and it's so global and it's so international and we would need so many countries to sign on whereas only 3 companies need to make a difference. So Do you do you need so many companies? countries to sign on, though? It sounds like you kind of just need to pressure three of them. Oh, yeah. Panama and Bermuda and Liberia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like the, then cruise ship companies would move, but then you just pressure them whatever countries are next. Yeah. But think of it. Think of it like how Canada doesn't have that scrubber rule in place so people can just like dump scrubber stuff off the coast of Canada. It's not like Panama's enforcing that. That's all that's all like your coastlines. Yeah, although I think you could probably make it illegal for ships to do those things. Yeah, I mean we could ratify more international agreements definitely, but the one that went into effect in 2000 I think it was 2013 about the air pollutants, it started in 2006. So it took like seven years to implement, you know, and countries are still signing on today. So 
I don't know. Like, I feel like, and I'm very remiss to say this, this is like almost never something that comes out of my mouth, but I feel like a market-based solution might actually be the only thing that would work here. People just like, if you are a cruiser, contact Carnival, you know, like (laughs) if, if you're listening to this and you're about to go on a Disney cruise, contact them, tell them that you care about this stuff, you know, like we all feel so powerless, I feel like, you know, but the solutions are there. They exist. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, what's your takeaway after all of this? I mean, I came in kind of vaguely feeling like cruise ships were bad, but for <laughs> different reasons. And now, I don't know. I had kind of vaguely thought like an Antarctic cruise might be nice, but now I feel very strongly that there's no way for that to be ethical because you're irreparably fucking up the ecosystem. Well, yeah. And the Antarctic cruises were called out specifically as like a seven day cruise is equivalent to one year's carbon emissions of one European citizen. (laughs) Like, holy shit. Yeah. So it sounds like it's um, I mean, maybe river cruises are different because maybe having like smaller ships um, allows you to be more environmentally friendly. But based on what I've heard today, I don't think people should take cruises. I know you're not being judgmental about it, but I'm going to take that line. It just seems better to, even if you have to fly somewhere, to take trips on land. Maybe we should do an episode on ethical travel generally. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we do have that on the list. Um, I'm glad that we did cruise ships specifically, though, because I would have tried to, I would have tried to cram this into an ethical (laughs) travel episode and it just wouldn't have worked. Yeah. And you know what's really interesting about cruise ship research is that there's a lot of information out there that directly contradicts itself. And I'm not sure if that's, (laughs) I'm not sure if that's just marketing from the cruise ships, like putting out a lot of like statistics and studies and stuff. But a lot of it just also seems like people with blogs making up statistics, you know what I mean? (laughs) So there's a lot of information out there that is, it feels right, but it's actually not right. So part of what took me so long putting this together is that I I fact-checked everything. And I still am pretty sure that I got some things wrong. So if anyone's (laughs) listening and you're like, no, that's wrong, I am not offended. Correct me, because this was really difficult. This was a really difficult one to research. The oceans are like notoriously difficult. And I feel like cruise ships have a reputation along with like anything else to do with the oceans of being opaque. So it's not that surprising that there would be be very hard to find accurate information, but I'm glad it was you researching and not me because that sounds hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was like a uniquely interesting one because like the cruise ship industry relies very heavily on good imagery, right? Like it's a luxury good. It's very easy for people to be like, that's not ethical. I'm not going to do it because you you never have to take a cruise. <laughs> yeah, like like Foxconn can do whatever, whatever sort of shit they want in their crazy, weird corporate village because people need phones, right? And people need electronics, but nobody needs to take a cruise. So these cruise lines are so invested in their brand in, and in their brand image. And they're such a big industry and there's so few of them. Like this is a very interesting oligopoly that we're talking about here in a way that like the telecoms industry in Canada does not care about their brand image at all. They do not care at all. But the cruise industry really makes a big deal about it. That's something that people can use to their advantage, right? Like if if cruising is something that's valuable to you, 
even if you've decided now that like you're not going to cruise again until it's ethical, which is what I recommend, um, <laughs> this is something that you can use, right? Like the more people are talking about how unethical it is to cruise, the more those cruise lines are going to be pushed to do things better. It's true. Yeah. And that kind of stuff does make a difference. I actually have like a weird example about that. You know, one of our like first episodes, I think like right after the pandemic started, I was like just bitching about a candy company (laughs) 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 because I had tried to reduce plastic by getting like a bulk thing of candy from them. And yeah, they had shipped it in like literally more than 50 small plastic packages. (laughs) I recently was gifted uh, candy from them over the holidays and they fixed that. The mixed bags are just big <gasps> mixed bags now. So I don't know if I had anything to do with that, but <laughs> maybe I did. Maybe, yeah, maybe they just sent it to everybody who complained about it. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you, Kristen. You single-handedly changed the face of that industry. Yeah, probably not what happened, but <laughs> but maybe. It's not inconceivable. It's a small company, so. Yeah, but I mean, like, we've lost the climate fight when people feel like they have no power. Mm -hmm. That's what it really comes down to. And that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is like, these are the things you can do. And maybe it doesn't feel like much, but if everybody is doing them, it's a a tidal wave. It's also like with the, the fuel law that you were talking about that we don't have here, Canada, so there was a huge problem with microbeads environmentally and There were some environmental groups that put together petitions and they just ended up getting the message to like one opposition MP and the evidence there was strong and the public support was there and the law changed. So like these things do happen. Citizen power can make a difference on these kinds of environmental regulations. The important thing is to just remain engaged when you're confronted with... (laughs) Great. Well, I hope that I was able to pick it up a little bit here at the end. Thank you, Kristen, for sitting here with me while we talked for (laughs) two hours about the oceans again. (laughs) This time, my turn. (laughs) And thank you to our listeners. Um, If you guys like our brand of dystopian discussion, then you'll like every other show on the Harbinger Media Network, which you can find (laughs) on harbingermedianetwork.com. I don't know if I want to shout out any specific shows after an intro like that. Ah, <laughs> like Alberta that might Advantage. not be the promotion that you think it was. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to reach us, you can get me on Twitter at Pullback Podcast. And you can get Kristen there, too, because we share it. <laughs> Which person did you get? You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do not announce ourselves. <laughs> I have definitely responded to Kristen's friends that have, like, sent her specifically messages to the pod account. And I'm like, I'm like, I like this. <laughs> yeah. We're the same person. doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>